We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, B Nation. Welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Saturday. You all know what that means. It is time for the RTCF show. For those who are newcomers, it had been a while before last week that we had done this. RTCF, we couldn't think of a better name, and it just kind of flowed. Recruiting, team, college football. So we'll talk about another name recruiting topic. We'll talk about another name college football topic. And then we will talk about, uh, excuse me, another name team topic and the another name uh, or a college football topic that, a lot of times obviously applies to Notre Dame, but it's not so much just about Notre Dame. Sean, normally we'll kick it off with kind of the recruiting topic, but today I want to start off with the team topic because this is something that I've been wanting to talk about um, really since, I mean, for a while, but I wanted to see how everything shook out this offseason first. And for the most part, we kind of have, we know what this te- this Notre Dame coaching staff is going to look like. I'm sure there's going to, some analysts are going to get added. I don't I don't see any other big moves with some mm-hmm. of the stuff that's been released. And and obviously that could change. There there could be something that comes down the pike for one of the assistants that changes the game a little bit. But as of right now, we feel like we know where this coaching staff is going to be. And this has been a very interesting offseason because we are seeing Notre Dame do a lot of things that that there's been a lot of criticism in the past that they were unwilling to do. And so we're going to kind of go through it all. And and each thing happening this year, the other year, you know, may not seem a whole lot, but the fact so much of it is happening right now, to me, says a lot about Notre Dame and a lot about Marcus Freeman and some other aspects to it. And I want to dive into that today, Sean. So that'll be the first topic. We'll talk about some must gets in the recruiting class that, you know, Sean and I believe are, are program changers, like definers, like just a lot of different aspects of why they're must gets. 
And then we're going to talk about a, a question that we got. I believe Jason Smith was the one that asked this earlier in the week, Sean. Mm-hmm. And, and he asked it during one of my solo shows. And I was like, you know, off the top of my head, I have some ideas. But I was like, this would be a great RTCF topic. So I like wrote it down and I was like, let's do it. So we have the list. We went through and we wrote down every Power 5 coord- you know, play coordinator combination where we – we, we included head coaches in places where the head coach is actually the play caller. So we'll dive into that. And we have our top five of, of who we think are the top five coordinator combinations in college football. And then we'll also talk about, you know, the teams that kind of are next in line for us. And it'll be my top five. Sean will have his top five. We have not compared top five notes right now. Mm-hmm. We're going to kind of have some fun and, and kind of lay it out as we go. And then we'll, we'll talk about some coordinator duos that are like next in line and then I have a list of coordinator tandem, Sean, that I want. I kind of got my eye on for 2025 that I want to see how they do this year. We'll talk about that a little bit as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. But first and foremost, Sean, mm-hmm. topic number one, Notre Dame has had a very interesting offseason. And I'll be honest, it's an offseason that I didn't think we were going to ever really see from Notre Dame. And, and here's what I mean by that. Notre Dame has been very bold over the last year. Notre Dame has also been very willing to spend a lot of money in recent months. Now, the pushback we get from people on campus is, well, we've always done this. Uh, no, no, you haven't. I, I mean, you, you can <laughs> say that all you want, but they've never been like this. And 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 I, it says something. It, it's not just about, oh, we have the best coordinator combination or, oh, they kept this good coach. Or, oh, they kept this good coach. There's a lot of things that have happened back to back to back to back to back to back. And to me, it says something about Notre Dame, but it also says something about Marcus Freeman. And I want to get into that a little bit. And so yeah. let's first kind of go through, Sean, and we'll we'll list just the things that have happened and and then kind of dive into more of the specifics of what, what they mean kind of individually and then as a whole. So number one, during this season, 
Notre Dame, or kind of during the summer and into the season, Notre Dame signs a new apparel deal with Under Armour. During the season, it's announced that Notre Dame has signed a five-year extension with NBC. Now, we were never given the numbers, but I've talked to a few people, and, and I don't, I haven't written anything about this because mm-hmm. I want to be very clear. These are this person heard it from this person, heard it from this person. So it's not like reputable from a reporting standpoint. But I can at least say that I feel comfortable saying that Notre Dame at least doubled their total t- TV revenue package, at least doubled. And some of the numbers I've heard close to triple, not quite, but close to triple, where in the past years it's been about 26 to 27 million in recent years is total between what they're getting from NBC and then from ESPN through the ACC deal. Yeah. If what I'm hearing is correct, that number's closer to 65 to 68 moving forward. So there's a lot more money flowing into the program that is there to spend. And I think that has to be considered for this whole thing too. But let's go through what's happened. So that that happened before, like during the season. Since the season ended, Chancey Stuckey got fired and was replaced by Mike Brown. Mike Denbrock got hired from LSU. Dela McCullough got a promotion from just running backs coach, run game coordinator, to now he's the running backs coach and associate head coach. Al Golden on defense gets signed to an extension. It was a, Sean, you and I have talked about it. It was assumed he was gone. Yeah. Sources that I had at Notre Dame assumed he was gone after the season. Number two, Mike Mickens gets a promotion. Now, what a lot of people don't know because it hasn't been reported is Mike Mickens actually already agreed to stay at Notre Dame for a pay raise. This offseason. Now, I don't know that the pay is it going to go even higher, but he's mm-hmm. now going to be promoted to the entire secondary coach. I would expect Notre Dame to kind of get a GA to be back there with him. Uh, anytime you're, it's like that's why you always have a D line GA because you have to separate at times D tackles from DNs and you need a coach that can go do a good job. And Notre Dame's always had a, a good D line GA or always had a D line GA. Now, I think you're going to see that now with Mike Mickens to, you know, so at times if he needs to go work with the corners, you've got a GA that can work with the safeties or the other way around. That's how I would prefer to see it. And then now Max Bulla has been promoted to a full, is going to be promoted to a full-time coaching position, uh, coaching the linebackers. Also off the field, you had a lot of analysts coming with Denbrock from LSU. Trent Miles is the big one for me because he was the receivers coach back at Notre Dame in 02 to 04. You and I have said before that 2002 to 2004 Notre Dame teams, they were very well coached from a fundamental standpoint in a lot of areas. Mike Denbrock was on that staff. There were some good position coaches on that staff. They just weren't coordinated very well. And the head coach wasn't any good, at least for what Notre Dame needed him to be. And so you bring Trent Miles in, who has been a head coach at the FBS level at Georgia State. He, he, got there from doing a good job at Indiana State, which is his alma mater. So now he's an analyst. Hey, get a veteran guy, a proven track record as an analyst. Well, they got one. And and then, of, of course, you had Hunter Bibbins' brother. I don't know anything about him. I don't know what he's done. I don't know how good of a hire that is. I have no clue. All I know is Mike Denbrock knows him, and that matters to me. I, I wouldn't give a – I wouldn't care one bit about that hire uh, if – 
if he just brought him from LSU for no reason whatsoever, I would I would assume like, well, it's Hunter Bivens' brother. I don't, I don't know a lot about him, and I'd move right on. But when you think about the fact that Mike Mike Dembrock has worked with this guy the last couple of years, clearly he knows something for them to bring him in as a senior analyst on offense. So you have all this stuff going on, Sean. And it, it, I mean, look, Notre Dame is spending a lot of money. From what I'm told, Notre Dame will have the arguably the highest paid coordinator duo in all of college football, if not the highest. I believe that there is there a, an OC or two that have gotten promotions this offseason that might make more than Mike Denbrock. There might be an, a DC or two that makes more than Al Golden from what he's going to get. There are is really nobody to me. There's I don't know if there's any team that's going to have two coordinators making well over $2 million. I don't know that's going to happen. And the fact that Notre – Sean, it wasn't that long ago, 15, 6, 14, 15, when it – remember it was reported that Mike Brian Gore is making a million dollars? And I remember hearing from one of the offensive coaches being like, hey, look, the OC at Notre Dame is not making anything close to that. That was less than 10 years ago. And now both of your coordinators are making over $2 million. That's a lot of money to spend. Mike, Mike, Mike Mickens basically turned down any D.C. – conversations this offseason because of what Notre Dame's paying him and the things that they've talked about doing with him. Uh, Mike Brown, the receivers coach, was I think 11th or 12th among the highest paid receiver coaches in college football and was an assistant head coach at Wisconsin. You got him to come to Notre Dame as just the receivers coach. I promise you he did not take a pay cut to do that, right? And so, and then Dela McCullough also is a guy that is a very coveted assistant coach that you got to stay. You didn't do that because you have a nice smile, right? You did that because he likes it here, but also because you paid him. Notre Dame shelled out a lot of money this offseason, Sean. And I know the easy answer is, well, they were embarrassed by what happened last year. I think there's something to that. I don't think that's the reason they're doing all the things they're doing. I think there's more to it than that, Sean. And 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 first I want to get into the, the big picture and then I want to dive into what does this mean for the football team? But let's first talk big picture, Sean. What does it say about Notre Dame? First of all, why do we think Notre Dame is doing this? And I think the first reason is, Sean, is Notre Dame runs their school like a business. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that in a positive manner. Notre Dame doesn't just spend money just to spend money, right? Notre Dame turned a, was it like $11, $12 billion endowment into a $20 million endowment with smart business um, investments. I believe, Sean, that the number one reason why this is happening is they view Marcus Freeman as a good investment, whereas before they didn't view the previous head coach as the same kind of investment. Because here, I feel like you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck, so to speak, with Marcus Freeman. I, I think that has to be where this conversation starts. That's a perfect way to start off. He's earned that respect. In multiple ways, in my opinion. Look, this is a first-time head coach trying to learn the ropes of college football at Notre Dame. That is a very difficult task, right? He has to evolve as a head coach, and I'm glad he said what he said at his introductory press conference. Question everything. That has been one of his biggest strengths as he's evolved as a head coach because head coaching just isn't on game day. Like you're managing a lot of different things as a head coach and trying to figure it out, right? So just take, for example, the immediacy of how he realized this quarterback room isn't going to be it. 
I'm going to have to upgrade the talent and I'm going to have to find a way to upgrade it, not just through recruiting, but through the portal as well. Then on top of that, coming into a tough situation where if he had been given full autonomy to select his coaching staff, it probably wouldn't look the way it looked initially. He dealt with that and things happened that actually played into his favor. I think there are certain times he's also stood in front of the cameras and took the heat when he didn't have to for the program. Yes. There are a lot of you talking about for Jack last year with the Ludwig thing. At, there you go. Yeah. That look, he has shown himself to be trustworthy off the field from an administration executive standpoint. And he has shown that he has grown as a head coach and that the direction of the program is going in the right way. All of those factors make him somebody worthy of investing into. Right. So some of the things that might be taking place now that we've heard about just facilities, for instance, was some of the things that his predecessor complained about on the way out the door. But his predecessor had done so many tricky things to make Jack think like, yo, do you really want to be here? What do you mean by tricky things, Sean? Like always having his name mentioned for other head coaching jobs after every single freaking season? Do you mean something like that? Is that what you're referring to, Sean? I'm trying to be nice here today. I'm trying to be nice to hey, start the, the show. Don't I'm get me riled off. Nope. Riled up early. Nope. But absolutely. You know, so why would Jack go ahead and give him that when he could be leaving? So I think what you said was spot on. Notre Dame, and as much as we joked about it, they are a, an institution, a university that is about good stewardship. And that should be applauded, right? And most fans would love to have a team or a university that's frivolous and just spins, right? That's not Notre Dame. That's just not Notre Dame. But At least not fact, with sports. Right. <laughs> and for the, the fact that they are investing in coaches, right, is huge. Because in this landscape, you have to be able to invest in facilities and coaches. The one thing that I'm actually cool with that they've taken a back seat and allowed the landscape to kind of play itself out is the NIL thing. I'm actually I'm fine with that. That is really good stewardship. And it plays into the recruiting because when you talk to their top recruits, they're on board. And the majority of the recruits, I mean, you might have a few that might have some different mindsets or might be going, they're teenagers. They can wake up tomorrow and feel totally different. But for the most part, they're recruiting guys and getting commitments from guys that want to be at Notre Dame with the full understanding of what Notre Dame is and what it represents and what the expectations are. So, you know, when you I, – I will say this. Brian Kelly, in theory, was right. At Notre Dame, you do have to shop down a different aisle. But that does not give you the right to be lazy. In that, there is Notre Dame has a different type of kid, the different types sure. of kids that come to Notre Dame. So for me, that's a different eye. It's not like you go to a dip. He was making it seem like you have to go to a totally different grocery store. Well, yes. <laughs> or, or you have to go down to the bargain aisle. Right. That's right. the difference. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I don't even, you know what, where I would say, here's where I would frame it, Sean. I don't think they have to shop down a different aisle. I think they have to be more selective about the products they go after in that aisle, right? So to me, Notre Dame is going after the best players, but they're saying, hey, look, we can't, we can't, 
we don't want that kid or we can't get that kid. But we're still going after the Georgias, the Bamas, the Texases, the USC's, the Ohio State's. We're still going to go after those kids. The other part, too, is they're winning more of those battles. Notre Dame would have bowed out of Kingston Viliama Asa's recruitment the minute that it became obvious that Ohio State was ahead of them in the past. And they would have given us some spin about, well, you know, just wasn't a great fit or or couldn't get in. I can't tell you how many times Notre Dame would recruit a kid for six months, be all in, and then they'd start to fade. And all of a sudden, the kid had magical academic issues that he had to deal with. You know what I mean? Or or there was some a- attitude fit that we had to hear about that had never been creeped in before when you thought you were going to get that kid, right? And, and, you know, they would have bowed out for – I mean, Gerby Lamb- Gerby Lambert's the guy that probably would have gotten the pass because Harry would have still got him. You know, but when you look at him and you look at some of these other guys that Notre Dame has landed, and we'll get into this in the must-get thing, it, it's, it's, hey, we're shopping down that same aisle, but we're going to battle those teams. And I think that circles back to another reason that I think Notre Dame has is willing to invest in Marcus Freeman and is willing to say, hey, we think he can get us our bang for our buck. It's like this. You're not going to give me your money to invest, Sean, because we're friends and you trust me. Because I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I don't know what, I wouldn't know what to do with it, right? Like, I, that's not my thing. So if you're going to invest money into someone or something, or you're going to give this person money and say, now now go do something with it, you have to trust that person it has the ability to, to turn that money into something better. And this is what we've said for years. If you spend the money the right way, you will win and the money coming back into the program will be exponentially greater than the money you spent. That that's the reality. You know, so you had to up your, you know, your payroll, so to speak, to your staff this year, but you go out and win, make the playoff every year, win a couple titles in the next decade. All of a sudden, every single position you have is paid for by some big donor who desperately wants to get his name tied to a position group. And I don't mean that insultingly. I think that's a good I think that's a cool thing, right? I mean, that's that that the coaches have to do their job, players have to do their job, and the money people need to do their job. And if they want to say, hey, look, I'm giving you this to help you build this, and all I'm asking for is that my name gets put on, you know, the the, the thing as the whatever, whatever head coach, I have, actually have no problem with that. You know what I mean? But they feel he's worth the investment because they think he – that what, we don't know yet if Marcus Freeman has the chops to be a championship head coach. We don't. But here's what we know. Number one – He's a great representative of the university. That matters. Number two, he's going to work. And that was not always true of the previous head coach. I've had players, you've had players, that have said he would welcome us back in the winter for when we get back from winter break, and we wouldn't see him again until like a week or two before spring ball. Wouldn't see him. That's not true of this current head coach. And, and so there's there's that aspect of it as well. And so to me, I believe that that's why he's worth the investment. And I think he's shown there have been some bumps along the road football-wise, but I think this season showed enough progress to say, hey, we don't know if he's got the chops to win, but he's shown us enough to say we're not going to stand in his way. And, and, and the smart thing is, is if Marcus Freeman's not that guy, you're going to know that in the next two, three years. But whoever you replace them with is going to say, dude, Notre Dame's committed to spending. It becomes a far more attractive job. You're not going to be where you were in 04, after 04, where Urban Meyer was like, why would I want to go there when they're not committed to winning? 
terrible facilities, don't pay anything, or I go here to Florida and they're fully bought in. Now, Notre Dame's like, hey, we're fully bought in. We just need the right guy leading this thing. So, so my thing is it's smart to do even if Coach Freeman doesn't lead you to the promised land. But I believe he also has shown enough chops from a coaching standpoint, Sean, to say, hey, I, I, it's worth it. You know, we because we do know he's going to do these things really well over here. He's going to be a great representative of the university. I mean, people meet Marcus Freeman and they're like, I'm ready to spend my money on that program because this guy, this guy's charmed me. You know, it, it, that the whole recruiting pitch just isn't for moms and dads and recruits. It's also for that big money donor that has been hesitant to commit to the school or the program in the past. You've, you, you know what it's like, Sean, you've been around him a little bit. You just listen to him talk and you're like, dude, I want to go run through a wall right now. Like, I want to go play for that guy right now. You know, like I've heard him, we're walking off the field and he's given a speech. He's ticked about something in practice. I'm like, dude, that's what, that's how I want to hear my head coach talk. When we're not bringing it that as the leader of the team, when I was a court, that's how I want to hear my head coach respond to the practice we just saw. Absolutely. And, and so I just think all those things factor into it, Sean. So the school's committed, but here's the other thing. It's not just the school. And here's where you start getting a little bit of confidence that maybe, maybe Marcus Freeman does have it. Because you're seeing coaches like Dela McCullough, who's been a part of a Super Bowl winning team, worked for Andy Reid, right? You've got Al Golden and his expertise, his background. You've got these coaches that have this experience that are saying, yeah, I want to be here. That says something to me. You don't think Dela McCullough knows what a, what a championship caliber coach looks like? You don't think he knows what a top-notch head coach looks like? Do you really think he's just going to stay at Notre Dame just because they gave him a pay raise with the opportunities that you and I both know that he has? No. it's There's a belief that, hey, we can do this. Al Golden, flat out, if he wanted to, could be a deep corner in the NFL. He could have he could have some of these head coaching jobs that came open. He could have been considered. From what I'm told, he didn't really put his name in the hat with some of those head coaching jobs that came about. Because I think he likes it at Notre Dame, let's be honest. But the other part is he doesn't do that if – he doesn't believe I can win with this guy because you're going to hurt your career. Hey, if I stay with Freeman too long and all of a sudden, you know, the, the warts get shown and, and we're not going to be what I think we can be. The fact that these guys all want to stay here and work with him says a lot. The fact that Mike Denbrock was willing to walk away from Brian Kelly to go work with Marcus Freeman and work for Marcus Freeman, who he spent four years with tells me he sees something in him. Mike Denbrock was making really good money at LSU, folks. He did not have to leave. The, to, he, he did not leave. He turned down more money. I was told this by someone at LSU that's a really good contact. He turned down a much bigger contract at Texas A&M to stay at LSU. Mike, Because Mike Elko tried to hire him at Texas A&M, and he turned it down. Big deal. He didn't leave Notre Dame simply because they upped their offer. He came here because he believes in Marcus Freeman. There's some other factors that got that convinced him to leave, but the only reason he's leaving to come here, if it was all about the money, he would have gone to Texas A&M because it is easier there and, and to, to, to coach there as an assistant coach. So I think all those things factor into, Sean, that there's also a belief amongst the staff, and you're finally seeing Marcus Freeman. Sur- this is the most surrounded I, don't know, I think he'll ever be with people that are going to have his back because they're people that now know him. Even the two new coaches – that they added have actually spent more time with him than the coaches who are on the current staff that have only been with him the last two years. Right. I mean, Mike Brown was with him for what, three years, two, two or three years at Cincinnati. Mike Denbrock was with him four years 
at Cincinnati. So these, so so you've added guys to the staff that that you now they know him, they've worked with him. There's a buy-in there that was not necessarily there the first year. It was a little bit more. It was more there in year two. Jared Parker had Marcus Freeman's back. He's he 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 was bought into Marcus Freeman's thing. But what you've done is not only have buy-in, but you've significantly upgraded. And and the other thing too is there's some moves that were made that tell us that Marcus Freeman's not playing around anymore. You don't get rid of Chancey Stuckey for the things we know he got rid rid of for if you're not if you're not if you're not engaged in your program. If you're not bought into saying this is the way we're going to do it and I don't like how this season went. You don't move on from certain things if you're not bought into that. And we didn't even talk and I even forgot to even talk about Lauren Lando. I forgot to even mention that one because that did not cost that was not cheap. To get he, no. he runs a private training business that NFL Super Bowl champs, first round draft picks pay him a lot of money to train them. He did not come to Notre Dame for four hundred thousand dollars, you know what I mean? And and no commitment to upgrading the facilities. So that's another big one. But that's the thing too, Sean is is you're in a situation where he is he he was not happy with how the season went at all. Marcus Freeman knows. I, I'm not giving you my opinion per se. I'm I'm t- I'm giving you things, conversation I've had. He was not happy with how this season went at all. He knows. And important you agree? know that they Post, missed an opportunity this year, Sean. Post-game Clemson was like the turn. I think that post-game after the Clemson loss, for me, it was like, oh, this dude, okay. I think it and started you- against Louisville. I and can see Clemson that. Clemson was the final, I think, the final straw. The final straw, yeah. Last two regular season games, Sean, you and I have talked about this. If all you did during those two games was watch Marcus Freeman, you'd have thought Notre Dame was getting their butt kicked. Mm-hmm. When he went off on Audric Estime because Jabron Payne fumbled, it said, okay, this cat's – this cat's. Like, yeah. he, he's So what we've seen from Marcus Freeman's first two years is he's made rookie mistakes. Mm-hmm. He has. But what you've also seen is he's not going to accept them. And he's not going to keep making the same mistake, mm-hmm. right? And and he's willing to make some tough moves to get on from it. And so spent a lot of money to bring in certain guys, but it's not just about he went out and got Mike Denbrock, who was, ran the number one offense in college football, just because he had the number one. No, he's worked with Mike Denbrock. He has mm-hmm. won with Mike Denbrock. They were coordinators for two years together from a, on, on a on a team – that in a two-year span had two losses. They lost by a, less than a field goal. I think it was a point to Georgia, and they lost in the college football playoff to Bama. That's the only teams to beat the Marcus Freeman, Mike Denbrock-led teams for two years at Cincinnati. That's it. And with all due respect, Cincinnati was a whole lot more competitive against Alabama in 2021 than Notre Dame was against them in 2020. That's where we're at that's what they've done and it tells me sean that this team so yes there's a commitment to marcus freeman but for what what's the end game because i believe that marcus freeman and notre dame knows there is a window opening up and i think that the fact that they've been as competitive as they have been in nil has made them realize hey this new era actually benefits us let's take advantage I think that factors into this whole conversation as well, Sean. 
And then, you know, just the chat is always wonderful. And I think the fact, I'll just answer it this way. The fact that we're having this conversation and we're excited about Notre Dame doing things lets you know that Notre Dame is different and not like everybody else. See, the, the head coach at Notre we're talking about the university that fired Lou Holtz, not because of what he was doing as a head coach, because the administration just didn't like it. Right. It felt like the program was getting too big. They fought against him. They fought against him. That doesn't happen at that, that doesn't happen to Nick Saban. That doesn't happen to Kirby Smart. That's someone always told me at Notre Dame, you it's the coach and he has to answer to somebody. And then the administrator Jack Swarbrick has to answer to somebody. It's like it's different. This the way things run in Notre Dame from a football standpoint is unlike any other big time program. It's just Gordon different. G let the cat out of the bag a few years ago and he was at Ohio State. Because he said something is an offhanded joke over a decade ago now, probably about 15 years ago now, Mm -hmm. that is true at Ohio State and a lot of other places. They were talking about firing Jim Trestle, and his comment was, I'm hoping Jim Trestle doesn't fire me. Right? If if Mm -hmm. somebody tries to stand in, in, in Nick Saban's way when he was at Bama, that guy's gone. He's gone. He's gone. If they try to stand in the way of the football program, you're out. If the administration – now, there are some schools where the administration has tried to fight against the sports programs, and all of a sudden, you know, these random things start getting accused of this guy, Michigan, mm-hmm. and yes. he's out, right? I mean, so there are some places where that that has happened. But when you talk about who Notre Dame is going against, Sean, to your point, Marcus Freeman can't, can't demand – the president no. be gone or the AD no. be gone. He doesn't have that kind of power. Cause if, if the head coach had not even had that Jack Swarbrick would have been fired. Cause Brian Kelly needed somebody to blame, you know, for, for his failure. So to me, it tells us that this school and, and people will say, Oh, this is Pete Vavacqua all written all over it. I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope it does. I hope Pete Vavacqua has been a, has been a player in some of this, but let's not pretend like Jack Swarbrick hasn't been no, leading to this direction over yeah. time. He handled yeah. the facilities part. And, and again, I, I know that that it's not that Notre Dame – I just don't even want to get into the thing that happened last year because it just it, it, it's been turned into something that it wasn't. It was terrible. It was embarrassing and stupid, mm-hmm. but it wasn't what it thought. But there is something different this offseason. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame has been trending up with salaries – but I can assure you, I sat down with some people around Notre Dame a year ago, and there was a frustration that that they had to wait for coach for for schools to express interest. And at times, I was told with a couple coaches, that as soon as they got any interest, that they would then go to the administration because hey, I I, I want to stay, but I you know to get pay raises because they weren't getting them otherwise. This off season, Notre Dame was very proactive in this and not waiting around for guys to get offers and things like that before they left. Like Chris O'Leary had nothing to do with money, nothing to do with money. You and I have known this for a couple of years, Sean, Chris O'Leary always had an eye towards the NFL. Yeah. This is the same with Brian Mason last year. Brian Mason never gave Notre Dame a chance to, to match. Counter, a match Not, yeah. cause, it, Cause it didn't matter. It wasn't about money. It was about it, the dream opportunity. An Indianapolis guy who grew up a Colts fan had a chance to go coach with the Colts. So the fact that you're you're not seeing coaches really leave for lateral moves in an offseason where a lot of teams are losing coaches yeah. to lateral moves, 
I think says a lot about the faith that these players have in Marcus Freeman. But at the end of the day, they're still parents. They're still mm-hmm. husbands that have families to support. And if the dollars were way different, they couldn't make that move. So the fact that they are says that there is a there is a combination of a commitment to the program, to winning, combined with a faith in the guy leading the program. I think that's different. Yeah. That's new. That's something we haven't experienced a whole lot. That combination of things, Sean, is not something. Because as you said, I think you nailed it. Lou Holtz was good enough to win more than one title. Oh, absolutely. But he wasn't good enough to have to beat Miami, Florida State, Michigan, and the administration at University of Notre Dame. That's the problem. Yes. And this administration, for a lot of the issues I have with it, and a lot of other ways, some football-related, some not football-related, the fact is right now, they're not standing in the way of the football program. They're saying, hey, this is what you need. Go do it. And look, I can assure you this started not just with football. No, it it was not cheap to get Micah Shrewsbury away from Penn State with the basketball program. I promise you that. It was not cheap. So I do think that they understand that I think there's at least some enough push from some people. And now there's still some issues on the board and some other things that I've been told about, but there's enough people that have said that we're gonna make that we're gonna make this move. We're gonna make this commitment because it's a smart investment. If you win here, you're going to get back a whole lot. And I think there's people finally smart enough to understand that that's where they need to be. And boy, and sure, I, I'll, I'll say this. I've been in a long time about an offseason. From a financial standpoint, I think they were put in a tough spot. Because they were put in a tough spot wanting to remain independent. There are certain decisions financially you have to make if you're going to remain independent in sports, especially football with the connection for the other sports, the ACC or hockey to the Big Ten. If you're going to get this type of TV deal, I said, we, I talked about it a year ago. I said, dude, they have to do a better job with their intellectual properties. They have to. They have to create more than just post-game press conferences and interviews with players. That has to be more to draw people in, to make yourself, make your brand attractive, to say, Yo, NBC, this is what we're worth. So now all of a sudden you hear about, you know, R&D right now for a hard knock show. I'm sure. because I'm sure you had to present plans for what you're going to do with indie media in the future to get NBC. And I'm sure, you know, people vocal probably was a big part of that coming from NBC. He probably helped out with the negotiations. But, yo, they had the Big Ten. Almost as leverage to say, okay, if this Notre Dame Dame thing doesn't go well, at least we have the Big Ten in our back pocket. We can always put a Big Ten game on in prime time. Notre Dame had to step up in a lot of different ways. And they have. Like the Wake Up the Echo show, the Hard Knock type show that's coming. You know, I said something on the show on LL. I said, yo, I would love to see. Notre Dame players mic'd up on the field. I know we get them on the sideline, but hey, mic up, you know, a charismatic player on the field. Take that step. That is like extending your brand. That is bringing in more content, right? I said I wouldn't mind micing up the oppose uh, somebody on the opposing team. I, I wouldn't like get the banter back and forth. It makes for great drama. Right. It gives you something else to put out there. I was like, wouldn't you have loved to hear? Sam Hartman in the huddle, making the call before it's fourth down run. 
when they put out the edit? Yeah, I mean, think about going back to when Manti was playing in 2012. Wouldn't have oh, been, absolutely. I mean, the Oklahoma you know I mean? game with the interception to seal it, all right. of that type of stuff. If you had those, those are moments. Those are moments. Right. And and moving into the future, you know, that is, I think the NFL mic'd up for the Super Bowl the first night, which was Wednesday, had was like the second biggest HBO viewing. It was some crazy numbers. Right, because we've gone from terrestrial radio where people are just sitting in their cars or sitting at home listening to sports shows. Now everything is about streaming, podcasting, getting people to come out to your app or to your YouTube page. And like, what can you put out in two to three minutes? Right, because the attention span in society now is not even that long. That is what Notre Dame seems to be going towards, even from a media standpoint to kind of line up with what they're doing, investing on the football side with facilities and everything, and the coaches you just talked about, it, it seems like for once they're moving forward all together in every area, right? Because we we know this, something else. Look, we know the obstacles of getting kids in at Notre Dame. We know this. We know that Notre Dame, in a, in a way, has actually been, you know, accommodating with certain recruits over the years to say, okay. That's always been true uh, during yeah. the tenures of failed coaches and successful coaches. Yeah, exactly. But that's not, I mean, but if you go look at the GPAs of most classes at Notre Dame, it's going to be over 3.0. I mean, it's Sean, not I like last year. I did. I actually yeah. did this last year. This is when Keon and Peyton Bowen were still committed in the class. Mm-hmm. And the slowest GPA that of any kid that was committed to their name last year. Now, Brandon Hillman would have been a little bit lower when he committed, but that's a different animal. He wasn't committed yet. The lowest GPA was 3.25. You had multiple five-star kids committed. Because this is the thing I always said. Yes, it's harder at Notre Dame, but it's not as hard as they made it out to be. That's what That was the, fr- the frustrating thing. Why is mm-hmm. it harder? Somebody asked in the chat. It's harder because there are kids you just can't recruit. You can't recruit. There are kids in their name just can't recruit that Bama, Ohio State, and Georgia can recruit, no problem. It's sometimes it's academic, sometimes it's a kid wants something that you're not willing to promise. Right? That's just always I don't care how good Notre Dame was when let's just say Notre Dame had won three straight national championships when Eric Dickerson was coming out of high school. And we're getting Eric Dickerson. No. It just wasn't happening. Right? They weren't getting Marcus Dupree. I, I don't, you know, it didn't matter. You know what I mean? So there, there were always those type of players. What was the name of the offensive lineman that, that ended up getting getting them in the most trouble, SMU in the most trouble? It was uh, Sean Stockridge or whatever it was, right? Mm-hmm. He was like a number one offensive tackle from Pennsylvania, right up in their name's alley. He he, he was not going to come to their name. Why? He wanted money. That's always been true. It's yeah. been true for decades. But it's also the fact that Notre Dame kids have to go to class. Notre Dame kids have to be part of the normal student. I mean, so, but to me – this is what I've always said. I get sick and tired of those being used as the excuses as the way that they were because Lou Holtz and other coaches use them as a thing to say, this is going to make us better. This is going to make us tougher. It's yeah. all about how you utilize it. And, and so we don't, we're not seeing those. I have not one time in the two years of, of, of Sean, and you know, the people that I talked to at Notre Dame, you know how close they are to Marcus Freeman and, and, and how well these people know. Not one time have I ever heard anyone complain about, you know, man, we just, um, you know, that we can't get this kid in because of the dorm thing or because of the weather, because of this. There was one academic issue 
that was a misunderstanding about a player that had had to take time away from school to help a parent move out of the country and and they had worked out a deal with the high school to get his grades up but but somebody submitted his grades before the makeup work had been finalized and then that caused an issue with Notre Dame that's it and that was more of an issue on the high school end than it was the Notre Dame end that's the only academic issue that anyone's ever complained about now there's kids that they've said hey we can't recruit this kid he doesn't have the academics but it, it's it's those are lower kids. The school has worked with these kids. But the other part of it is why I've always hated this is because of the the constant misconception misconception that if you look at top hundred football players, only five or ten of them have the grades to get in Notre Dame for for what Notre Dame's athletic standards are. And and this well, you know, we you know, I remember one time, oh, we can only get forty guys. Okay, well, still, if you can only get forty of the top hundred players, okay, well, let's say you only get. 10, you know, 20% of those, that's eight top hundred players. You don't need 40 top hundred players. You can't even sign 40 players. So if you can only get 40 of them, okay, fine. Then do a better job of landing the guys of that 40. And that's where they were lacking all those years. They weren't even willing to fight for those guys. So this notion that, you know, well, Southern kids or this kid or that kid or whatever, don't want to come to their name because of why? Well, academics. No, it's because your football team stinks and they want to play for championships. That's why. If, if Taj Boyd and Deshaun Watson don't do what they do at Clemson, does anyone think that Trevor Lawrence goes to Clemson? No. If they were still the same program they were under T- Tommy Bowden, Trevor Lawrence doesn't go to Clemson. He probably goes to Georgia or Florida State or something like that. Like that That's the reality of it. They made themselves an attractive program to where then they could go get those kind of guys. And, and that's what it boils down to. And, and that's why I would say, yes, it's harder. But I'm so tired of this notion that, you know, Notre Dame has to get these. Like I had a Notre Dame coach once a couple of years ago, and I, Sean, you met, I, I called you right afterward. <laughs> I was so pissed yeah. off. So coach had been let go, and he says, you know, he's like, you know, I can't go recruit top players. Mo- most of the kids in my room are part nerd. And I, I was so pissed off because I'm like, dude, you got a bunch of four threes and four fours in your room. I don't want to hear crap from you about, you 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 know, your kids are, are not the top players because – you know, they're part nerd. I, you know what? I've met some part nerds at Notre Dame that are freaking studs on the football field. You know what I mean? And, and, I, and, and I just was like, this is the problem. You're the problem, right? This isn't a them problem. This is a you problem. This is you blaming everybody else for why you've sucked as a football coach. You know what I mean? And so you don't have that with this staff. At least I haven't heard it in two years. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't heard it in two years. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, Marcus Freeman has this no excuses mentality. No, I don't want to hear any bullcrap excuses. Exactly. This is the reality of who we are at Notre Dame. That means we're a different kind of kid, but let's turn that into a plus. Yeah. 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 It's not, look, in life, regardless of how you want to say it, there are people, people never arrive at the same destination. Some people, if I'm driving down to Atlanta, and somebody else is driving from D.C. to Atlanta, they might have to drive through a storm. It might be clear skies. And we're going to the same destination. It's more difficult. All that matters is I got there. No excuses, right? Like, oh, man, I couldn't make it. I stopped and turned around because it was raining. No, 
you're going to encounter at Notre Dame, you're going to encounter a little more turbulence than other top programs. But you can't stop midway like the predecessor and pretty much just give up because it's a little bit more difficult. Right. You can't. It takes away from my, my golf game. It can't. You, know, that's what you can't. Down and people that feel like, oh, like you said, it becomes an It's a fact. Certain things are a fact about being a head coach in Notre Dame. It's a fact. Your actions turn it into excuses as a head coach. It now, is, that's the difference. It is harder to win at USC than a lot of people think Heck because yeah. of all the distractions. Mm-hmm. Pete Carroll stopped using his excuse and said, we're going to lean into this thing. Mm-hmm. And he won multiple titles. Right. Now, it's become an issue for every coach since him mm-hmm. because you didn't hire the right people. And, and at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to, Sean, is, you know, you, you got to make the right hires. Let's wrap this part up, Sean, with this with this part of the conversation of, okay, that's fine. Sentiment is great. Sentiment doesn't win you championships. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't win you battles. I think of the scene in uh, the first Avengers, right? The first, the, the you know, where, where Thor's battling Loki and, and and uh you know he tricks him into thank you he tricks him into kind of angela did a good job of coming in here and not getting into the room which you see rita didn't care as much um but you know he 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 kind of get lulls him into this sense of hey we can do this and then he pulls the thing out and stabs him and goes like sentiment you know what i mean right. like sentiment doesn't win no it, it's cool for the rah-rah but sentiment doesn't win these moves have to mean something they have to say okay yeah you spent money but we saw them spend a lot of money on Brian Van Gorder, and that was a terrible hire. We saw Notre Dame spend money on John Tenuta, and that was a bad hire, right? Let's look at it to wrap up from a football standpoint. Did Notre Dame get better this offseason from a football standpoint? And and that's the thing, the final piece for me. You know I like Jared Parker. I was higher on Jared Parker's potential than most, but there's no debating on Jared Parker 2024 versus Mike Denbrock in 2024. And even if you take out Mike Denbrock's last year at LSU, which is a bit of an anomaly, you know, 45 points a game. And, you know, that was an insanely good year. I I don't see him repeating that at Notre Dame. That just was that perfect storm year where I actually think the bad defense helped the offense put up better numbers, but made them a worse team. So I don't take that out. You're still talking about a coach that has done an outstanding job at a lot of places. Cincinnati did a great job. They were 37 plus points a game. The two, the two year stretch that they were really, really good in 2020, 2021. He took an LSU offense. It was 26 points a game, jumped them up to almost 35 points a game in one year. Forget to jump to 45 this year. And and so the track record is there. That's an upgrade. It's a recruiting upgrade. In my opinion, Mike Brown is a significant upgrade over the job we saw from Chancey Stuckey this past year. Recruiting wise, we'll see. That's a little bit of a TBD. But the coaching part, to me, is is certainly better. So offensively, you're better. Plus, you're going into year two of Gino Gadouli, year two of, of Joe Rudolph, and year three of Dylan McCullough. Those are upgrades just from an, an, an experience alone standpoint. It's upgrades across the board on offense. Defensively, we're going to have to find out, you know, what they do without Chris O'Leary. The one thing we knew Chris O'Leary could do was coach. 
but getting Al Golden back, getting Mike Mickens back, getting Al Washington back, and allowing Mike – because Max Bullock couldn't have come back next year if he wasn't promoted to a full-time coach. Not as an on-field on guy. He could have maybe got hired as an analyst. But I promise you there were other Power 5 schools looking at Max Bullock as a position coach, the job he did this year. And, and so now you keep him. And so when I look at it, Sean, and then, you know, year two of Marty Biagi, and then you're getting into a situation, too, where Lauren Lando doesn't have to replace Matt Bayless. He's replacing Fred Hale. So the strength coach situation, to me, is improved. No disrespect to Fred Hale, but he just doesn't have the long history and track record. He was, And he was also thrust into a really tough spot, Fred Hale was. And, and so uh, it's an upgrade because if Marcus Freeman didn't think it was an upgrade, he just would have promoted Fred Hale. And again, I, this is no disrespect to Fred Hale. He did the best job he could in a really tough spot, you know? And, and so to me, you look all around, the staff is upgraded and, and, and it, on defense, it's at least experientially upgraded, right? More years in the system on offense, it's experientially upgraded, but also talent upgraded from a coaching standpoint and and so i would argue that that the combination of talent and experience this is the this is arguably the best coach notre dame coach coaching staff we've seen across the board in over 20 years at least i think you could argue maybe even a little bit longer than that yeah they had a good kelly had a good two or three two year staff on on one side of the ball on one side of the ball yeah I mean, the offensive staff in 2015, legit. Well, actually, I think the even better year, 2014 offensive staff was was yeah. phenomenal. Offensively, offensively. You had Tony Alford at running backs. You had Matt LaFleur as your quarterback's coach. You had Mike Denbrock as your as your receiver's coach. You had Scott Booker, tight end's coach. And Harry Heaston as your line. That was an awesome offensive staff. Problem was, your defensive staff was led by Brian Van Gorder. That's the problem. That's the problem. I think that I, th- I think you've seen years where the defensive staff was pretty good. The 2011 defensive staff was pretty good. Bob Diaco, you had um, uh, the 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 late coach who passed away. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, Bob Elliott. You had Chuck Martin was still part of the defensive staff then. You had Kerry Cooks. So you had some pretty good defensive staffs. Um, on, but you never had both of them. That's my thing, Sean. I think Charlie had a couple pretty decent offensive staffs. For, you know, the first couple were 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 okay. They weren't great, but they were they were good. But the defensive staffs were problems. I think you got to go back. I mean, you got to go back a long time, in my opinion. Yeah, you probably have to go back to Lou. You probably have to go to the nineties. I agree. Yeah. So that's yeah, something I to get you excited about. You've made you, a you commitment. You have to be excited. Yeah, commitment should pay off, Sean. I think they they committed money. And they they brought in coaches that have the track records you want and you look for. Yeah, that that's the key. Yeah. Will it work? You we'll find out. I think it makes Mar- Marcus Freeman a considerably much better head coach. That's I mean you're investing in him. Like forget you're investing in him as a head coach. When Marcus Freeman as a head coach has to put out fires over here and over there has to juggle with the administration, right? And how things are set up in Notre Dame. And then he's learning how to be a head coach on the fly at Notre Dame. That's very difficult, man. That's very difficult as a first-time head coach. And when you talk about that 
and the way he handled everything. And I think what allowed him to handle everything was his mindset. We're not going to have any excuses. We're going to question anything. We're not going to wait for things to happen. When we see things that need to be changed, we're going to go and make the necessary changes immediately. That is two words, accountability and responsibility. Marcus Freeman is never looking for anybody to blame. It's always, it's on me. It's on me. 10 men on the field against Ohio State, that's on me. That's on me. My team wasn't ready against Louisville. That's on me. That's on me. Like so, truly on me, Sean, because Brian Kelly yeah. said this is on me. My D-line coach should have done that. Yes. That's on me. That's on me. Sam Mustafer should have snapped better against NC State in a hurricane. But that's on me. Right? So there was always like even when he would take blame, it was always like after he had thrown someone else under the bus and it was this half-hearted Oh, it's on me that my offensive coordinator sucked. You, you know, but he was blaming his offensive coordinator to your point. And, and when things weren't good enough, Marcus Freeman made changes. Right. And, and and so that that's an important thing. So the town acquisition has improved tremendously. We've already talked about that, but you feel like the, the coaching has gotten better. Now we've got to see it all put together. That that's still a, a wait and see. So got a show me mode, right? They're still in show me mode. But you start feeling like the floor, I'll say this, the floor has been raised this year, in my opinion, from a coaching standpoint. And I think there's a final thing too, Sean, you mentioned this, that it makes Marcus Freeman better. There's another way that it makes Marcus Freeman better. It's a lot easier to be successful as a coach when you, when you don't have as many agendas in the rooms from an assistant standpoint. And when you know, it's it's like I mean, there's so many parallels between football and 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 warfare that are, are appropriate parallels. I may be the overall general, but anyone that studied the Civil War will, will know like the North always had the inferior, had the superior military numbers and weapons, but they had inferior generals. It wasn't the necessarily the main general because sometimes the majors hey go do this and then the the, the other generals wouldn't go carry it out where with the Southern side, when Robert E. Lee said, go do this, go take that hill. They were bought in. They went and took that hill where, you know, even early on, if Ulysses says, Grant, Hey, we need you to do this. And then the general on the field would, would, would cower or not do it or, or, or whatever. Right. Same with football. Like if you're selling, Hey, go out and do this, but guys aren't bought in. They don't, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I should be the general. You know what I mean? then you're guess what? You're not going to be as successful because players see that stuff. But when you say, hey, this is what we're doing, go do it, and every coach is bought into that, and, and the, the chances of that are so much greater now with the people he's brought in. Because e even if Mike Denbrock didn't know Marcus Freeman, he's always been a bought-in assistant coach. He's always been a – I got the head coach's back assistant. He was like that with Ty. He was like that with Kelly. Like, he's always been that kind of guy. But now that there is, he was like that with Luke Fickle. But now, Sean, he's in a situation where he also knows the head coach. Mike Brown knows the head coach. Mike Brown left a guy. Actually, let me let me look this up, Sean, because I want to I want to see how many years Mike Brown had been with Luke Fickle, because that's something to think about too. Is 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 Mike Brown? Of course, I got to make sure I type in football coach because otherwise I keep going to the 
the basketball coach. Uh, Mike Brown was with Luke Fickle for 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. Five years he had been with Luke Fickle at two different schools. Left Luke Fickle, who had made him the assistant head coach, to come to Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman. I can promise you that was not just about money. He believes in what they're trying to build here. And that's what has me excited about it. So to me, Sean, you got better on the field. At the end of the day, that's the most important thing. You got better on the field. And now you learn from your mistakes. You, you know, Marcus Freeman's going to, I mean, Mike Dembrock's going to bring over a decade's worth of being at Notre Dame to the table to say, hey, here's some potential pitfalls we fell into after successful seasons when I was here the last time, last two times, because Mike Dembrock was part of that 2002 team that started off great. He was part of the 2012 team, the 2015 team. He's been a part of some of those teams that have, hey, fallen off. What, what did we do wrong? They'll be able to learn from that. And and so I, I just think I, I just look around, Sean, and just from a coaching standpoint, there's no debate that this is a much better coaching staff than what it was a year ago. Because again, it's not just about the new guys; it's about Joe Rudolph will be better in year two than year one. There's nothing in his track record that makes me think. Now we don't know how good he'll be, but there's no debate he'll be better than what was last year. There's there's going to be no debate that now Washington's going to be a year better. And Mike Mickens is going to be a year better. And Max Bull is going to be a year better. Just because it's more time here. Mike Mickens probably the one I'd take out of that equation if I because he I, for, I sometimes I forget he's been here since 2020. But like Al Washington, year three. Max Bulla, year two. Dylan McCullough, year three. Joe Rudolph, year three, two. Gino Godouli, year two. Marty Biaggi, year two. And and that experience, the track record at Notre Dame of coaches going into years two and three has usually been better than than years one. And and there's always anomalies, but that's that's been the track record. Then you add the new guys. I'm excited about it, Sean. There's no doubt. I think Notre Dame uh, has done that, and we'll we'll dive into just how much we believe in this in part three of the show. But we're gonna get to part three here in a little bit. We still got to get to part two, Sean, and we're going to get to that next. We're going to talk a little bit of recruiting. Before we do, folks, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, not just share it with the Google, with on Google, which will obviously help us with the algorithm, but also share it with your Notre Dame friends and family who are not listening to the show. Definitely do that. And if you have not done so, go to the boards at boards.rsbreakdown.com. Check out the things we're doing there. Very lively discussion going on right now, started by our guy Andrew Gilmore about the Notre Dame schedule in 2024 that you guys can dive into as part of that conversation as well. So we'll get into that. All that stuff is going to be uh, discussed on the board, but we're going to get into recruiting next, and uh, I- I'm excited to talk about that. But also, a reminder, we will have a mailbag at the end. We- it won't be a long one but some some questions that we like. Super Chats obviously will answer, but there will be some other questions that we'll get into as well. 